sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. When Ronald Reagan proclaimed October to be National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, he noted that when a child loses a parent, they are called an orphan. And when a spouse loses their partner, they are called a widow or widower. But there is no word to describe a parent who loses their child. And unfortunately, it's something that many families do indeed have to deal with. Today we're joined with Rose Davini Jackowitz, an RN and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant at Kaiser in San Diego, California. Today we are discussing unexpected outcomes when a baby passes. This is The Boob Group, Episode 76. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Did you know that all of our episodes are now free? Yes, we did it. We opened up our archives so that our listeners could have access to all of our episodes anytime and anywhere. Just download them from our website, theboobgroup.com, our apps available on iTunes and Amazon Marketplace, or subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and have our episodes automatically added to your account each week. Today we are joined by two amazing panelists in our studio. Ladies, could you please introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Rachel Redhouse. I am 31 and I run a home daycare. I have four living children. Um, Alden is eight. Uh, Kaya is seven, Olivia is almost five, and Avery is two. And I've also had two losses, uh, one a full-term loss. Thank you. Jessica? Hi, I'm Jessica Russard. I'm 33 years old. I'm a researcher doing um, brain cancer research. I have one living child. Uh, She's six and a half weeks old right now, Elise. And I have one baby that passed away when he was five and a half weeks old, Griffin, uh, about a year ago. Thank you for joining us. Familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. 
You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Here's an email we got from one of our listeners. Hi, boob group. I'm currently breastfeeding my 11-month-old baby, and my family keeps asking if I'm going to wean her once she turns one year old. I just listened to your episode about how breast milk still has nutritional value after a baby turns a year old. I was wondering where I can find articles about these benefits so that I can share them with my family members next time they bring up the topic. Do you have any recommendations? Sincerely, Rebecca from Washington. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for your question. Yes, there are many resources online that discuss the nutritional value of breast milk after the first year of your baby's life. I have a few on my website, actually, which is the San Diego Breastfeeding Center.com, and it's a great place to start. Our article, Does Breast Milk Have Nutritional Value After a Year?, lists a bunch of statistics from a research article by Dewey in 2001 in the Pediatric Clinics of North America Journal. This article states that in the second year of life, 448 milliliters of breast milk provides 29% of your baby's energy requirements, 43% of protein requirements. 36% of calcium requirements, 75% of vitamin A requirements, 76 of folate requirements, 94% of vitamin B12 requirements, and 60% of vitamin C requirements. That is a lot of nutritional value in that amount of breast milk. Next, Kelly Mom has a huge list of research articles on her website on a page titled Breastfeeding Past Infancy. I'll plug this in this. Here you can find resources about the nutritional and immunological benefits of breast milk past okay. a year plus all of the additional benefits breastfeeding has for both mom and baby after a year. After scanning over these 50-plus articles on her website, you should have all of the resources you need to convince your, bre- your family members that breastfeeding beyond a year is a tremendous gift you can give to your baby. Lastly, I thought you might enjoy connecting with other moms online about their experiences breastfeeding beyond infancy. A few of my favorite articles are Enjoy It While It Lasts on the Slacker Mom blog, Yes, She's Four, and Yes, She Still Breastfeeds on the Normal Like Breastfeeding blog, and The Last Time That Never Was on the Blactating blog. I hope that these resources were helpful. Thanks so much for your email, Rebecca. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic, and finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Today's topic on the boob group 
is Unexpected Outcomes, What Happens with a Mother's Milk Supply When Her Baby Passes. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. I'm incredibly grateful to have Rose as our expert today and for our brave panelists on our show. Rose is a registered nurse and an IBCLC at Kaiser in San Diego, California. Thank you for joining us, Rose, and welcome back to the show. Thank you for asking me. I'm happy to be here. Rose, I know you've spoken on this topic multiple times. What, what brought you to this specialty area? Well, we could, where could we begin? No, I, my background is high-risk labor and delivery, and I used to work with moms in labor when we knew things like this were going to happen. But that was like 35 years ago. Mm. We won't do the math here. But as a lactation consultant working with moms in the hospital, in the NICU, and as well outpatient I can remember my very first patient that I was asked to see to help her teach, to teach her how to position her baby at the breast. And and I found out that this was a baby that had a terminal illness and that mom was taking the baby home to pass it home. And uh, it was one of the hardest consults I've ever had to do. But when I saw the mom holding her baby and it was the one thing that only she could do, it's like, it's, I've had an interest in it ever since, and over the years, I have worked with moms that either knew their baby was not going to survive, or the baby had just passed away, because that is, the, moms need this extra. They need that extra help, because when we're talking about milk supply, it's something that's um, very near and dear to me that I'm there to help moms through this time. Thank you. Um Rose, how common is infant loss, and what are some of the different reasons why an infant or baby might pass either before, during, or after birth? Um, There's lots of different reasons, and uh, probably a very good uh, website to look at is uh, March of Dimes. And according to March of Dimes, um, there is anywhere from 10 to 15% 15 of babies that will um, miscarry before 20 weeks. After 20 weeks, between 13 and nine, you know, uh, 19 weeks, um, about 1% to 5%. They don't always know. Um, it could be a variety of reasons from chromosome problems, uh, uh, hormonal issues. Um, stillborns occur 1 in 160 pregnancies. Most occur before labor starts. Um, there are other situations where there's conditions incompatible with life. Um, and there, there are too many, well, not too many, but it's not easy to, to list all those because they vary. But we don't always know. Sometimes we know. Um, but either way, it's something that's very unexpected. And when the moms find out, and sometimes they don't find out until after the birth that they discover that there's something that is not right. Okay. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, so, ladies, would you mind sharing your story, and then we'll talk um, about the choices you made for your milk supply. Um, yeah, my uh, son, Jonathan Taylor, we called him JT, he was um, born at 32 weeks, and we had an emergency C-section. And we knew before he was born that he had posterior urethral valves. It's basically a blockage in the urethra. He had no amniotic fluid. Um, they put him on life support. And we, I immediately started pumping. Um, that was, um, as Rose said, that's something that I could completely control. So they gave me a nice big 
pump and I pumped immediately and um, brought my little bit of colostrum in and on day three they told us that he was not going to make it so I had um, a little bit of colostrum saved up in in their freezer didn't it didn't seem like much but I'm sure it was enough and uh, unfortunately we had to take him off life support and at that point I was told by doctors and um, lactation consultants to just kind of let myself dry up. I was never told anything differently. So we, um, I went home and they told me, okay, take some hormonal birth control and um, just kind of wrap your breasts really, really tight, which nowadays is not. This was about 10 years ago, so they don't really do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, my milk came in, actually, I think the day I went home from the hospital and it was very painful. It was stressful. And um, I wish I had known then what I know now about um, what to do with yourself as far as, you know, drying up and all that stuff. So thank you. How about you, Jessica? So my son Griffin was born at 41 weeks. I was induced. Uh, perfect pregnancy, perfect labor delivery. Um, he was taken to the NICU about five minutes after he was born because he wasn't breathing quite right, but we assumed everything was, you know, fairly normal, some pulmonary edema, something like that. Um, and over the next couple days, uh, everything seemed okay. We were talking about bringing him home fairly soon. Um, everything the doctors told us uh, seemed like it wasn't going to be uh, anything major. And so I started pumping. I was able to breastfeed him about maybe 18 hours after he was born. He ate amazingly. He was looked perfectly normal, healthy baby. Um, and about two days after he was born, we had a geneticist assess him. Not our choice. It was something the doctors recommended. We found out that there was probably something wrong, but we weren't sure. It wasn't supposed to be fatal, but there's only six other cases in the world. So uh, we didn't really know too much about Five days after he was born, he was rushed to Rady Children's Hospital from uh, Scripps Memorial, and we knew he almost didn't survive that. We knew there was something really wrong. And so this whole time, I was either breastfeeding him or pumping, um, and I was told pump, you know, eight times every 24 hours, at least 15 minutes. Um, I produced a lot of milk, <laughs> and so I just started freezing whatever. W once I had enough, I started freezing whatever he wasn't eating, um, and I just kept, every time we talked to the doctors, it was like, well, when you bring him home, he'll be on oxygen for this long, or he'll be on this medication. And he gradually just got a lot worse. Um, he had pulmonary hypertension, um, chylothorax, which is fluid around the lungs, um, series of problems, and we found out that his lymphatic system didn't develop properly, which controls all the fluids in your body. So um, he could never regulate that. Um, and his heart started to fail. And so I was producing almost a liter of milk a day. <laughs> and I wasn't, I was pumping maybe 10 minutes, eight times a day. And I kept thinking, well, this is going to be great because I'm going to get him home. And at some point, I'm not going to have to keep breastfeeding him. I'll just feed him what's in the freezer. Um, and I can slowly, you know, wean him off through that. And um, then we found out the genetic condition he had, uh, we made the really difficult, well, I don't really think it's a decision, but we moved him to hospice. 
um, there was nothing they could do for him. Uh, he would have needed a heart and lung transplant. Uh, he probably wouldn't have survived outside of the hospital. If he did, it would have been constant trips to the emergency room. Um, and so a bunch of the milk I had pumped was at Ronald McDonald House, where we were actually staying across the street um, in the freezer. And then uh, I had, I, d I don't know how much, but a lot of milk that was stored in the freezer at the NICU. Um, and they told me I was actually taking over space of other people's <laughs> because I was producing so much. Um, and in the process of moving to hospice, some of the milk came with me, some of it stayed at Ronald McDonald. Um, he passed away about a week after we got to hospice, which was actually amazing because we had some really great days with him. Anybody that saw him other than the oxygen tube, he looked completely healthy. So that was very special, very hard, but very special. Um, I breastfed him again, actually. Um, and then after he passed, I had talked to the lactation consultants about donating milk and um, I got all the paperwork on it. Uh, I brought home what I could keep in our freezer and the rest of it stayed at hospice. And over the next couple weeks, I just couldn't handle all the stuff that needed to be done for donating milk. Um, between finding out about vaccines and getting paperwork and doctors signing off and all of that, um, it was just way too much for me. So the milk that was at hospice actually got thrown away. Um, and the milk that we had in, in the freezer was, I think it was about 150 ounces approximately. Um, I kept that until December. I, I just didn't know what to do with it. and I couldn't handle the paperwork and I couldn't throw it away <laughs> and um, eventually I went online and I thought there has to be even if I sell it for a penny an ounce <laughs> or something I thought there has to be something I can do and I found a website called um, human milk for human babies with a numeral for numeric for and uh, I got on their f local Facebook page and immediately found someone that needed milk she couldn't physically produce enough. Um, she had a condition. And two days later, she swung by my place, and I gave her all of this milk. She had a four-week-old baby. Um, and it was extremely emotional. Um, but at the same time, I saw her, and I think we said hi, and then we just hugged. <laughs> um, and she wrote me a card and gave me a a gift card. She said, I know this is nothing compared to what you're doing for me, but I just wanted to show how, you know, grateful we are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was happy that I could do that. And I was happy that I was able to provide that for someone else. I just wish that all the other milk that got thrown away, I could have done something with, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Rose, if a baby passes before or during or, or soon after birth, Will a mom's milk supply still come in, maybe even if she's not pumping? Unfortunately, all her body knows is she's just given birth. And with the delivery of the placenta, the shift of the hormones, the milk supply decides I'm supposed to come in sometime between day two and day five. And uh, knowing that that's what a natural thing for the body to do is, um, we need to be talking to these moms about how to prevent or what they can do about that. But unfortunately, yes, it does come in. We're, we've had women who have lost a baby at 20 weeks pregnant, and five days later, they're engorged and leaking with milk. So yes, unfortunately, it does happen. 
And you had mentioned um, some options. So what, and obviously the, the ladies in the, in the studio have talked about some options. And so what, what are these options for a mom who is lactating after her baby or her child has passed? Okay, um, <clears throat> definitely several options, and one of them which, which we've already heard here, but uh, is donating to a milk bank. Um, but yet, like she said, just doing the paperwork, having to get all the lab work uh, results was just too much. You can still donate to the milk bank, even if you don't fill out all those paperworks and provide all the results. What they will do is use that milk for research, which is awesome because more research is needing to be done on a breast milk and what's in it, what's, you know. Um, but uh, if you want it to be used for other babies through the milk bank, you do have to fill out that information. And the milk is then pasteurized and then distributed to whoever is needing that milk. Um, she found a non-profit um, uh, or a private organization. Um, the difference with those are there are issues with um, health and what's in the milk and what's not in the milk, and but those are definitely avenues. But uh, the other thing too is talking to moms about what options are. I mean, if if I see a mom prenatally, we can talk about these options. Trying to prevent the milk supply from coming in is probably the most common thing because moms go, I don't need something to remind me. And so there's ways to try to help prevent or to minimize the breast engorgement. Um, the birth control pill that was mentioned here, how long does it take a pill to kick in? It takes days. By then, your milk's already in. So uh, working with um, a lactation consultant, an experienced lactation consultant, to find out how can I minimize what is coming in. If it does come in, then instead of quitting cold turkey, which then you're miserable for days, um, on top of the misery you're already having to go through, then what an option is to gradually pump off to comfort and, and that way you're not so miserable. Um, so yeah, so there, the options are drying up right away, pump and donate, um, or pump gradually to decrease if your full milk supply comes in. Okay. And, um, and Rachel, you had kind of talked about how you were very uncomfortable with the binding and it just didn't feel good. Um, so your milk had started to come in. Um, you chose, you, you mentioned that you were kind of guided into saying that this is what, this was your only option essentially. Yeah. So how, how did you feel about that? Um, I think at the time I was, it was like I didn't have any control over it. I mean, it was going to come in no matter what, and, and that was fine with me. But um, the, uh, the, I think the biggest problem I had was that everybody um, was not very sensitive about the situation, and um, they just didn't want to deal with it. So they said, oh, well, you know, you can do this or this. And I, and I remember um, having a lactation consultant come in and her asking what I, you know, what I needed from her. And I said, well, I need some advice on how to dry up or, you know, what I'm supposed to do at this point. I've never had a baby. This is my first baby. I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, oh, well, what did the doctor tell you? And, and I said, well, you know, I could take hormonal birth control. And she said, okay, well, that's good. And then just wear really tight bindings. And, and that was the end of it. And I said, okay, thanks. And um, I, I think it, 
it was difficult because I, I was dealing with this emotional and physical pain from having surgery. And then I was, I mean, it's really painful to be engorged and there was nothing I could do about it. I had no control over it. And I think it made it a lot worse, the grieving process. It was so physical. It just, that physical aspect, it was compounded. So, And Jessica, your situation was a little bit different. Um, so your milk supply obviously was already in. Did you choose to continue to pump after your son had passed or did you stop, gradually start to wean like Rose was talking about? So once we decided to move him to hospice, um, I started pumping less and less. Part of it was that also took away from my time with him when he was in the NICU. So I was actually somewhat bitter about pumping so much. Um, And I was mad that I had this huge supply in the freezer that I was never going to get to use for him that took me away from him also. Um, So I started to sort of wean myself off pumping. um, And I don't remember when, but I know I got down to pumping twice a day. But I could not get past that point, and it was already so painful, and I was having, you know, felt like rocks in my breasts, (laughs) Um, and I didn't feel like I got the best advice from all the different uh, lactation consultants at the NICU before I moved to hospice. I tried cabbage leaves, I had, um, I went to Whole Foods and got the sage tea extract, or Mm -hmm. sage extract, um, uh, what else did I, I didn't know about birth control, um, and I just kept trying to pump less and less, but I had to pump something. Um, I tried cold compresses. Um, and then I ended up talking to the woman that, she's a lactation consultant, also did our uh, prenatal birth class. And she's amazing, um, Diane Randall. And she told me about Sudafed. And Sudafed worked like magic compared to everything else. And maybe I had already tapered off so much that I was at a point where it would help, but. Uh, within, I think, three days, I was so much more comfortable and not having to pump. And mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when we come back, we will discuss with Rose um, the options that moms have to deal with their milk supply after her baby or her child passes. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We are here with Rose Davine Jakowitz, um, an RN and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant in San Diego with Kaiser. And we are talking about unexpected outcomes, um, what to do with a mom's milk supply after her baby passes. So Rose, what options, we had, we had spoken about these options where moms can either dry up or partially start to dry up as well as, um, or continue to pump. Um, for the mom who is going to dry up her milk supply after a loss and she wants to do it quickly, um, like Rachel was saying, she was dealing with engorgement and um, being really uncomfortable, you said, for about two weeks. And so clearly that, that is a concern um, for mom. So what, what, are your, um, what is your advice for how to quickly dry up? You had mentioned Sudafed. You had, some of the moms had mentioned cabbage leaves, birth control pill. Um, what other things can a mom do to help dry up her supply? Because moms will become engorged. And many times they're told, if, you, if you're engorged, you're going to get mastitis. Theoretically, she is at risk for mastitis. I don't see that happen often in this kind of a situation. Um, but uh, And moms vary, which is why I think working individually with lactation consultants, because some moms are going to dry up more quickly. 
but for some moms who the milk supply just keeps coming and coming, they need maybe some more aggressive. But typically a snug bra, but not binding. Um, some moms are also told, don't drink fluids. Well, that's not a good idea. You want to continue to take care of yourself and stay well hydrated. Um, cold compresses, cabbage many times can work, but you do need to use the green cabbage 24-7. Change it every couple hours, uh, which helps to, to decrease the swelling and dry it up. But when that doesn't work, then uh, pumping to comfort, but keeping, you know, minimizing the, the stimulation. Uh, whereas sage tea may work for one mom. Uh, Sudafed has been extremely helpful because often moms will call and say, I've got a cold. What can I take? Well, we don't want you to take this and this and this because it'll decrease your milk supply. Birth control Sudafed being one of those. Sudafed being one of those, absolutely. Birth control pills have been used, the combination, but sometimes it takes, you know, a week or so for that to kick in. Um, but, I mean, my suggestion definitely is to work with an experienced lactation consultant. And if you're not feeling, beginning to feel better within 24 to 48 hours, you need to call back and say, what you're having me do is not working. And if she has no other options, maybe asking her, does she have a colleague or somebody who has who is specialized in um, loss. And some of the agencies that work uh, with moms um, and families sometimes will have expertise, like Empty Cradle, for example. They're going to have somebody there who has been through this and is going to be able to sometimes give you maybe even better advice, more helpful advice than a lactation consultant who maybe hasn't worked in this specialty. Okay. Rachel, you had mentioned that it took about two weeks for you to feel more comfortable. Yes. Um, so what do you think did work, and, um, and how did you feel during this process? I think um, eventually I think the hormonal birth control definitely did help. Obviously it took some time because that takes time to get into your system and, and start working. Um, other than that, I think it was just time. I, I wasn't pumping at all. I didn't have a pump at home, so I didn't have that option even to relieve it or hand express. So um, it, it was difficult because it was a constant reminder of the loss. You know, it was just a, it was a process that I wanted it to be done and be over with. I, I didn't want to be, although I wanted to remember him, I didn't want to remember that physical aspect of it and the pain um, so it was a long, drawn-out process, and it, it was about two weeks till I finally started to feel some relief, and then probably a month before it was dried up, and I didn't really pump that long. I only pumped for a couple days um, when he was in the NICU, and um, once my milk came in, he had already passed, so I didn't, after that, I never pumped. So it was a little shocking to me that it took so long to dry up, but... Okay. And, and Jessica, how about you? How long did the, um, the drying up process take for you? And what worked for you? You had mentioned Sudafed. You felt really worked well. I felt like the Sudafed worked extremely well. I, I think I was tapering off for so many weeks because I was producing so much milk and I had such painful breasts the whole time. Even when I was just pumping eight times a day, I still had really painful breasts. <laughs> Um, so, and I think my lack of experience and I kind of got different advice depending on what lactation consultant I talked to. So I just kept trying different things. And I think from the time I started to taper to the time I was actually not, uh, pumping anymore and maybe more comfortable, it was probably four weeks. Wow. Okay. 
Rose, for for a mom who decides to continue to produce milk, um, what are her options for donating, and and how often should she pump? Um, part of that is going to depend on what mom's goal is. One of the moms that I met, she her baby actually died before birth, and she had talked to a friend and decided that she wanted to pump and donate to try to make something good out of this horrendous experience. And so when I met with her, her goal was just, and she had gotten very engorged as well, but her goal was just to pump, um, to relieve the engorgement and provide that milk to the milk bank. And as far as how often she would pump, she would pump when she got full. So instead of that, you got to pump eight times a day, it's if you don't feel full until five hours, six hours, wait five hours, six hours. Um, and then again, if you're wanting to m- produce as much milk, then you would basically still pump more often. But many of these moms want to donate that milk, but without working on, let's see how much milk we can make. And so they would pump anywhere from every three to four or five hours. As And as that stretched out, it became five to six hours, then seven to eight hours. But And this one mom, she ended up producing and, and donating to the milk bank over 2,000 ounces. Wow. And she said it was very, very satisfying for her because she was able to do something positive. And um, so it really kind of depends on what mom's goal is. If she says, my milk is in. Um, I'm going to pump to donate to whether it be a local agency, a milk bank, milk share. Um, pump when you feel like you need to. And then as you pump less and less, your milk supply decreases um, more and more. So uh, part of it is really what does mom want to do? And then that's, I think, as a lactation consultant's role is to help her decide what is going to be best for you. Not what do I think is best for you, but what is going to be best for you. Okay. Um, MJ, have have any of our virtual panelists wanted to share anything? Yeah, actually, we do have one mama who's um, shared her story a little bit. Um, And she actually mentioned um, back to the um, drying up the supply after a loss, um, Earth baby earth mama baby earth mama angel baby yeah there you go <laughs> i'm trying to bring it up right now but she said that it, it worked really well and um let's see it says she said some loving internet friends sent earth mama angel baby no more milk tea i was skeptical skeptical but it helped a lot i drank three cups or so a day for six weeks and um, one for at least another four weeks and then after that it gently dried me up it was soothing and it even tasted good um, so, you know, of course she, she didn't donate, but that's what she did in order to, um, to dry up. Okay. That's great to know. All right. Um, ladies, what, what advice do you have for a mom who is trying to decide what to do about her milk supply, whether she should, or not necessarily what she should do, but what, what, what her options are and what might be helpful? Um, Rachel, how about you? Um, I, I think that... Maybe consulting people who have been through it before, obviously, um, with a group like Empty Cradle, you have lots of people who have been through this experience and um, just knowing all of your options, knowing all of your options, getting as much information as you can on on, on either drying up or donating because um, I don't feel like I had those options and if I did, I made a, may have made a different choice. So getting the options and, and really making sure that you make the decision based on your emotional state um, not what you think you should do or what everyone expects you to do. 
Can you tell us a little bit about Empty Cradle? Empty Cradle is a local organization, um, San Diego County, and um, we have four meetings a month, and we help moms and dads and families who have had a loss um, with miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, SIDS, or an infant loss. Um, it's We have monthly meetings, like I said. We have a walk in November, and it's just we have phone support, Internet support, Facebook support, and uh we just have um, it's all run through volunteers amazing people who do it and a lot of people who get the support through the group um, end up going on and helping later on but um, we just offer lots of different support for those who have lost a baby in one way or another okay Uh, Jessica how about you what advice would you have for a mom trying to make the decision of whether to dry up or continue to pump I think I just reiterate what Rachel said about um, it's really about where you're at emotionally and what feels right for you. I think in the sort of baby loss community, a lot of um, what we say to each other is there's no right answer, there's no right thing to do, there's no right thing to say or how to feel, or um, nobody can tell you any of those things. It's very personal. Um, I could have the exact same experience as Rachel and we would handle it differently. Um, and and that's that's completely fine. So really it's it's up to the individual and how she's feeling. Some people find it a positive experience other people find pumping you know very degrading um everybody's different and that's okay mm-hmm. thank you rose and what would yeah. you add and that's that's where i would say my job as a lactation consultant if you have not met anybody like from empty cradle um is to share with you here what some other mothers have done but and some moms are ready to talk to somebody from Empty Cradle right away. Others go, you know what, I, I, I need some time. But to be able to say, hear what your options are, and I think you're exactly right. There's no right, there's no wrong. It's extremely individualized and personalized. And just to let mom know, I'm here to help call with any questions and to be there with her. And that's that, I think, is something that doesn't happen a lot. We're afraid of you. We're afraid to come into your room. We don't know what to say to you. And um, and what we need to be willing to do is come in and just sit with you, cry with you, and acknowledge this is a horrendous thing. I can't possibly know because I haven't had it. Um, I can only imagine what it must be like. I've had family members who've lost babies. Um, but to be able to come in and be with you and sit with you and, you know, cry with you... Um, and just be there for you and help you. But there are agencies out there that are amazing and extremely helpful in working with you over the next year, two, three, four years, however long it takes. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much to Rose and to our incredible panelists uh, for sharing this immensely valuable information about what a mother can do with her supply after her baby passes. And uh, for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as Rose will discuss some online resources for mothers who are dealing with the loss of a child. For more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Before we wrap things up, here's Amber McCann talking about the best online breastfeeding resources. Hello, Boob Group listeners. I'm Amber McCann, an international board-certified lactation consultant and the owner of Nourish Breastfeeding Support just outside of Washington, D.C. 
I'm here to answer some of your most common questions when it comes to finding quality breastfeeding resources online, such as, I've got a freezer full of milk that I've pumped. Where can I donate? I once had a mother call me to tell me that she was so proud that she'd pumped so much milk that they were having to pour it down the sink. Nothing strikes terror in the heart of a lactation consultant quite like that. Many breastfeeding mothers are also pumping and can gather in excess of milk. I've heard of mothers who needed to purchase new upright freezers for all their milk. If you are ever in a situation where you have more milk than your baby needs, would you consider donating some to a Himbana designated milk bank? Himbana stands for the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, and they are tasked with gathering, processing, and distributing donor milk to NICUs all over the country. For these fragile infants, donor milk can literally be a matter of life or death. Wouldn't it feel really good to be part of that miracle? One note. Please understand that there are a number of other, quote, milk banks that take donations from mothers and sell the milk at a profit. Check to make sure that the bank you are considering is a Hembana designated one. Please check them out at www.hmbana.org. Again, it's www.hmbana.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Amber McCann, and I'd love for you to check out my website at www.nourishbreastfeeding.com for information on my business and a little bit more about where to get connected with great online breastfeeding support. Or join me on my Facebook page at www.facebook.com backslash nourishbreastfeeding. And if you have a great online breastfeeding resource you'd like us to know about, please send me an email. You can do it to amber at nourishbreastfeeding.com or share it on the Boob Group Facebook page. Be sure to listen to the Boob Group each week for more fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and how to find great breastfeeding support. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to the Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, and our show, Parent Savers, for moms and dads with newborns, infants, and toddlers. Thanks so much for listening to the Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Hey, mamas, don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.